So we're reading together from uh, John chapter 7, and let's read from verse 32. The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while I am with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come. Then said the Jews among themselves, Whither will he go, that we shall not find him? Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles, and teach the Gentiles? What manner of saying is this that he said, Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come? In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, Out of his belly, or his inmost being, shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Amen, and I trust that the Lord will bless the reading of his word to our hearts. If there is a title for my message tonight, it would simply be this, The Divine Outpouring. It was a very special season. It was the Feast of Tabernacles. The people had gathered in their many thousands at Jerusalem. And over the previous days, every day there had been a procession from the temple to the Pool of Siloam. And they had traveled down behind the priests for the uh, gathering up of a beautiful chalice of water from the Pool of Siloam. And then the procession made its way back to the temple and there at the altar on either side, the water would be poured out on one side and the wine on the other side. As the people would process, they would be singing and praising God. And it was a very wonderful and blessed time for the people for seven days. On the eighth day, there was no such procession. They had come to the end of the feast, and they were getting ready virtually to head home to their different villages and towns and cities or wherever they would go, back to their homes. And on that silent, quiet day, as people were in a somewhat more relaxed form, suddenly there was a cry rang out through the courts of the temple, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. As the Scripture said, After having drunk out of his inmost being, the koala, the inmost being, the Bible here in our reading as out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And then as a little parenthesis or explanation, John says, This spake he of the Spirit. And of course he continues to add, the Spirit was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. A lot has happened since that word was spoken, the Lord Jesus now is glorified. And we know that he is at God's right hand because the Spirit has come. 
As he departed from the disciples on the Mount of Olives and went up through the heavens, how were they to know where he had gone? They could only take his word for it that he was going back to be by the side of his father. But who was to know that that was where he went? There was one proof as to the fact that he had ascended and was right there, seated at God's right hand. And that was that on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit come, came. He said, if I go away, the Comforter will come. And the proof that he is now at the Father's right hand is in the reality of the indwelling of the Spirit of God within the people of God and birthing the church into reality on the day of Pentecost. And what an amazing day that was when 120 of the 500 believers that Jesus met after his resurrection, when 120 of them were in the upper room and the fire fell and the pouring out came, the divine outpouring that Jesus spoke of was initially manifested right there at Pentecost. Friends, we can never have another Pentecost in the historic sense of the word. But you know, it was Paget Wilkes, the founder of the Japan Evangelistic Band, who made this statement. He says, God's skies are full of Pentecosts. He said, all of heaven is a free plunder to faith. And I said to you a few moments ago that the Bible terminology for the workings of God in Christ on Calvary's cross And the workings of the Spirit in ministering in the church is in the realm of the supernatural and in the realm of the superlative. Everything is on a vast and grand scale. God works in the big picture and God works in the big movement. My friends tonight, he works in the small too. But he, when I'm speaking in the context of which I'm speaking, God is willing to pour out his heaven through his eternal Son into all our hearts so that we might have rivers of living water pouring out through our lives. I was talking to a farmer friend this morning in 1986. He had a well drilled, a borehole drilled at his farm. He had 100,000 hens and he needed water. A lot of water for 100,000 hens. So they got a geologist to come from Queen's University. He came and brought a map with him and uh, he set it down on the table in Eddie's farmhouse and he said, look Eddie, he says there's a geological line that crosses here through where your farm is, crosses the Irish Sea and goes into Scotland. (laughs) Yes, amen. And he says, Eddie, if we drill anywhere on this line, we will get water. He said, you are on a geological formation. You are located on it. If we drill deep enough, we will get water. At 500 feet, 170 meters, they tapped a water source. And the water shot up Eddie told me, out of the ground, up into the air, six feet into the air. And then it began to pour out water. And it began to pour out in 1986, 36,000 liters every day. I phoned Eddie this morning. I said, Eddie, what about the well? I just want to be sure that it's still working. He says, Eric, I can tell you, he says, that the well is still working and has never diminished in its flow. 
Cream line at Lurgan, sunk a well borehole, is producing 100,000 gallons of water a day. My friends, and he said to me, Eric, there's rivers that are flowing in the lower stratus of our earth that are full of water. I want to tell you tonight, there's rivers flowing from the throne of God that are full of water. There's a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of our God. My friends, tonight, there was two old ladies, you know the story about them pleading the promises of God from Isaiah. I will pour water on him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. And when the touch of fire and the touch of living water touches our hearts, then there's got to be a revival movement outside the church, floods upon the dry ground. And there's no one tonight with any spiritual concept that would say we are not in a dry, terribly thirsty situation. We need a divine outpouring of the rivers of God. But it starts in the house of God. Was it not true to say that in the Bible it says judgment must begin at the house of God? And when our lives are brought underneath the conscious presence of God and the Holy Spirit begins to open us up and teasel us out and begins to strive with us in our inmost beings and touches us at levels that we have not been touched at before, then we are on the verge of something very precious and something very blessed and something that will equip men and women and young people to go for God, as Anita was singing, to go for God, like Isaiah said, here am I, send me, after the living flame touched him, after the outpoured water flows into our lives, the ministry of the Spirit in all his fullness. Thank God tonight there's blessing flows out. We are on a line tonight. Let me take that concept between Eddie and that drill man. Let me take that and say to you tonight, we are on a line. And it is the line of grace, the grace of God. We find ourselves on a line. I've put in my notes, a line of limitless power, boundless grace, and fathomless fullness. We find ourselves tonight in the presence of the Lord, in an ordinary yet sanctified house of God. We find ourselves as people, possibly all saved, maybe some not saved, but you're going to get a picture tonight of what's available to you if you will first of all trust the Lord Jesus and come to the cross and be saved. Then there's a vast ocean that stretches out before you and inundates your life if you will allow it so that then you might have out of your inmost being flowing a river of living water. 
We were so privileged, and I mentioned this earlier, in our young days, and that's a while ago now, I'm talking about 50 plus years ago, whenever Yvonne and I would go, and constantly we were ministered to by men of grand faith, J.B.B. Friend from South Africa, Stanley Banks from Emmanuel Bible College, Reverend Duncan Campbell, and so I could go on, and my friends time and time and constantly, we were constantly being fed messages like these. And Mr. James said, and I remember him say one time, he was a small Welshman, and my dear, you had to be early to get a place in any one of the places where he was preaching back in those days. And he said, I was speaking on this text one time, and a young man came up after me, and he says, Mr. James, you've been speaking about rivers of living water. But he says, I only have a trickle. I only have a trickle. You know, that's the first step to blessing, to be able to come and be really honest and say, Lord, there is an unmet need in my heart. Lord Jesus, there are some things in my inmost spirit that are not sweet. They are not nice. They are beasts of prey that threaten to break cover and spoil my testimony and maybe even have before tonight. And you're here tonight with a scar. You're here tonight with a marred testimony. You're here tonight with something that's loitering and lingering in your breast that you're not really happy about and you really wish that it was dealt with and it was sorted out. Well, my dear man or woman, you're in the good place tonight. But it'll take humility. It'll take a little bit of bowing and kneeling. It'll take a little bit of brokenness to bring you to that place. Quite a bit, maybe even, to bring you to that place where what has to be remended and repaired will be repaired. But there is cleansing power in the blood of Jesus to repair all the disrepaired areas of your life. And so when we speak about this wonderful verse and this wonderful manifestation and expression of our Lord Jesus, he is speaking undoubtedly about a divine fullness that is available to every life. He that believeth on me. I believe I'm amongst a people tonight who believe. You believe the Word of God. You believe in the finished work of the cross. You believe in the advent of the Spirit. You believe in the birth of the church, that it was birthed on the day of Pentecost. And this evening, tonight, you can say, Yes, Brother Eric, I also can confess that I have the dwelling of the Spirit within my heart. You could not be a child of God and not have the Spirit of God dwelling within your breast. If you have not the Spirit of God, you are none of His. But that same divine spirit that has taken up residence within your heart, I know from my experience and I know from the Bible experience that there is a waiting blessing for you in the same spirit taking possession of every area of your life and dealing a death blow to the sin problem of the heart and then taking that cleansed, purged heart and filling it to the fullness of God. And that's not just reserved for some people who fit into a certain theological position because I'm old enough and I've read enough to know that across the spectrum of theological doctrine there are men who will identify themselves with a real meeting of God after conversion. 
Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, said, There is a life above the regenerate life, as far above the regenerate life as the regenerate life is above the unregenerate life. He was speaking about something that is measureless and full. F.B. Mayer, who was been again pretty much in that same sort of connection, he was the same man. He had the same meeting. He put it in different expression. He said, in every area of my life, the Lord Jesus had access, but there was one key. There was one room. I wouldn't let him in, but he said, God kept working. And there came a moment, he said, when I handed over all the keys. I handed over all the keys. And he said he took away the door and he put a window in its place and the light has been shining through every room since. Have you got a locked door? Have you got a buried something that tonight needs to be handed over to the Lord? Is there a key tonight that you hold and you say, Lord, I can't let that go. I'm not willing to, 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 to surrender on that point. You will never have total victory until that happens. And I would say invariably, every time you get down on your knees, it'll pop up and it'll disturb you. You know, when I was seeking the blessing of God, as a young man, I don't often share this, and don't often tell it, but when I was hungry for blessing and come from those conventions and was moved by God, I would be seeking and praying. And then one day I was out in the farmyard and there was an apple tree in our farmyard and the branch leaned over a wall and a young fella took a run and I jumped up and I caught that apple and as soon as I caught it, it was like a thunderbolt hit my heart and said to me, Eric, what about the apples you stole? from Mervyn Archdale's Orchard years before. Oh, I lost my appetite that day. I didn't feel like eating. And the battle started to rage then. And every time I got to praying and seeking God, what about the apples? Apples never seemed so undelicious as whenever I felt I needed to see Mr. Archdale. Got the bicycle out one day, started up the road a mile, got as far as the gate, took cold feet, got on the bike, rode back home again, felt defeated, overwhelmed by failure. But one day when I was taking the cows to the field, it was the evening time, putting them out to the night grass, And there didn't I see the minivan coming down the road. And I knew who was in the minivan. And God said, Eric, this is your opportunity. The little minivan wove its way through the herd of dairy cows. And I almost put my hand out to stop him. But I let it go on. God turned him around at our gate and he came back up the road and the Lord said, Eric, if you don't do it now, you'll never do it. I put my hand out and I stopped. He wound down the window. He was an Englishman. I said to Mr. Archdale, I've got something I want to tell you. I said, I used to steal apples from your orchard. 
And I said, I want to pay back for what I stole. You know what that's called? Restitution. He said, Eric, we always knew there were boys stealing apples from our orchard, but we could never catch them. But he said, you're freely forgiven. Think about it no more. I went down home, and my, I tell you, I was as a lighter step. as like two six and fifties had been dropped off my legs. And the clear way was made for me then to get to seeking God. And way, my friends, that wasn't the only time. There were other things that had to be dealt with. It was like a black man in the meeting, and when the preacher was preaching, he was hallelujah and an amen. And then the preacher began to preach on restitution. And the black man got quite quiet, and the preacher said to him at the door, Go night. Noticed he said, You got quiet when I was speaking on the rest, on restitution. Oh, he says, Do restitution put the damper on the meeting? <laughs> Maybe you're saying, You know, Eric, you're, you're touching the quick of my heart tonight. Well, it's the pathway to blessing. It's a pathway to blessing. Old John T. Hatfield, 33 years of life, why? When he was out, he's trying to set a clocking hen and she didn't want to sit in the eggs. And he got her and he says, you'll sit on those eggs. And he said, I almost had her plucked. And then I walked out and he said, and the rooster jumped up on top of the pillar and said, sanctification. And he went to make the calf drink out of a bucket. You know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm talking about anyway. And this particular calf was not so inclined to drink out of the bucket. And it would bring the head up, you know. And he said, drink or drown. And then he said, God would speak again. Then every morning when they were ready to go to church, the wife was just about to step into the trap and she'd say, Oh, John, sorry, I forgot something. And away back she'd go into the house. And one morning she said it. He said, If you ever say that again, he said, I'll leave you and you'll walk to church. So anyway, that's what, what happened. Oh, John, she says, I forgot something. Into the house she went. When she came out, the horse and trap was gone. And John was an elder in the church and he was sitting up near the front and later on in the service who walked in sat down beside him but the wife. He said, I was glad the pastor didn't ask me to pray that morning. (laughs) But all the time God was speaking to him until the fire fell. Until the river swept through John T. Hatfield and God made a clean work and sanctified him through and filled him with the Holy Ghost. It was Barclay Buxton, a great friend of Paget Wilkes that I mentioned a little while ago. And he said in his wonderful little book, this is a picture of the Holy Ghost in his power and blessedness and what he may mean to you. And Brother James that I referred to a little while ago, those, these waters are clearly a picture of the Spirit-filled life. You say, Eric, I'm thirsty. I feel a want. I I, I have a need. (laughs) I have a need, but I, I have a want now. It's got beyond my sense of need. It's got to the area of desire. I want. I want. That kind of blessing, 
that saves and sanctifies the soul. I want, I want that kind of blessing till waves of blessing over me rolls. Would you be that person this evening? Say, Lord, I feel somehow that I'm on the edge of the shoreline when God is saying, launch out into the deep and let the shorelines go. Launch out, launch out where the full tides flow. Oh, yes, my people tonight, I think God's going to do something great for some individuals again this week. And you're listening to me very pensively. Some of you are listening very intently. And you're saying, you know, I maybe haven't heard much about that, but sometimes I have, and sometimes I feel my need more keenly than others. And when Pastor Bertie asked me to come, he said, Eric, I want you to come, and I want you to give us a week of ministry to God's people. And my dear people, this is just why we're here. And you know, to not prolong the service so that the young people, little ones, can go and get to school tomorrow because I'm always conscious of that. There's a prerequisite to blessing. And the Bible says, If any man thirst, O ye that are hungry and thirsty, rejoice, for ye shall be filled. Do you hear that sweet voice inviting you now? to the banquet of God. Step out on the promise. Get under the blood. The promise can't save. Though the promise is true, tis the blood we get under that cleanses us through. It cleanses me now. Hallelujah to God. I rest on the promise. I'm under the blood. But the blood and the Spirit work closely together. And Booth learned that and had on his banner blood and fire. <laughs> Thank God tonight we have got the cleansing blood and the river of the Spirit. And what is the prerequisite? Thirst. Thirst. If you've got thirst, you're on the way to blessing. I am hungering, Lord. I am thirsting. You know what Jesus said? Oh, the blessedness of that appetite. Oh, the blessedness of those that hunger. In the original, it's an exclamation. Not just blessed are, blessed are, but oh, the blessedness of those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, rightness. They shall be filled. And then he says, oh, the blessedness of the pure in heart. They shall see, they see, they see God. And yes, my dear people, what does he say? Let him come unto me. So there's a vital appetite. And then it follows through. Let him come unto me and drink. The vital appetite is followed by the vital appeal. Let him come unto me. You know something? The Holy Spirit is not in it. And the Holy Spirit does not come in his own name. He comes in the Father's name and he doesn't come to glorify himself. He comes to glorify Jesus. And we must never divorce that relationship 
between the Lord Jesus as the eternal Son and what He has procured for us and the eternal Spirit, what He wants to distribute to us. But Jesus said, let him come unto me. And in coming to the Savior, the Spirit makes real in us all that Jesus has purchased for us. And he purchased for us nothing less than a complete freedom from sin. Being then made free, now made free, says Paul. From sin ye become servants to God. Ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. You say, Eric, can I be cleansed from my sin, my sin nature? Well, my dear people, it's as clear in the Scriptures as the noonday sun. There is a distinction between sins as action and sin as nature. And constantly through the Scriptures, that distinction is manifested, and the cross work of Jesus hit that entity right at its heart and shot the dagger of death through the entity of sin planted within the heart of man by the fall of Adam. Thank God Jesus came to undo what the devil had done, And he was manifest to destroy the works of the devil. And so to the one who has made it real, I come in my need. And I say, Lord Jesus, thou didst die not only to pardon me in my guilty past to be blotted out. Thou hast died to deliver me, cleanse me. And thou hast given thyself now in the spirit to fill me. And yet, I say to you tonight, though this is real to me and real to those of you who tonight have trusted, it is an ever-increasing, ever-developing, ever-ongoing experience so that invariably when I pray, my prayer is, O fill me with thy fullness, Lord, until my very heart and life overflows in kindling thought and glowing word, thy love to tell, thy praise to show. And yet I must say to you this, the euphoric feeling of the divine visitation of the Spirit, and if I could put it in this term, at personal Pentecost, does not stay with us for the rest of our lives. We're not to live on the euphoria of an experience. We are to live in the constant abiding fellowship with an abiding Savior. And it's a walk. It's not jumping around in the air with our wings flying. It's walking through the hurts, through the battles, through the bereavements, through the cancers, through the sorrows, through the waywardness of a wayward daughter or a wayward son. So many, even of the most intensely blessed people, walk through the most intense fires. But I want to tell you that every joy or trial that falleth from above is traced upon our dial by the Son of Love. We can trust Him fully. Because he will be wholly true 
And thank God tonight when Francis Ridley Havergill wrote that beautiful hymn, Like a River Glorious, it was out of the experience of this divine blessing that that hymn was written. Stayed upon Jehovah. You say, Eric, tonight, my life is being rocked. I can tell you tonight that even the blessing of full salvation will not give you an insurance policy against a life that will be hit with storms and rock. In fact, it may become more intense. But I know a man tonight whose life was like pure strained honey. And in the deepest woes and in the severest buffetings, he stood right, clear, unassailed by everything, assailed by everything, but unmoved. His name was Job. Job was a perfect man, upright, one that feared God, eschewed evil. That word, a perfect man, the word comes from a root to mean pure, strained honey. A few, some years ago, they found honey in a pyramid in Egypt. It had been there 3,000 years. It was as pure as when it was first placed there. You know why? Because honey is antimicrobial. No microbes can live in honey. Honey is pure. Honey will remain pure. Oh, did I tell you about Bud Robinson last night? He said, poke me anywhere and honey will come out. <laughs> and the doctor told him, Bud, you've got a problem. The too much sugar. Whoa, glory to God. He said, I've been praying for the Lord to make me sweet. Now, the doctor says this is not good, but this is, this is dangerous. Too much sugar in the blood. Oh, Lord, make me sweet. My friends, tonight we could do with more sugar and less salt. <laughs> more sweetness and less grouchiness. More graciousness and less cuttingness. More integration with our blessed Savior and less confrontation between us as the people of God. To be able to reach out and have what was John Wesley's favorite term, perfect love. Perfect love. Perfect yet it groweth. Deeper all the way. Perfect yet it floweth. Deeper all the way. Yes, my friends, it's a constant ongoing, but there's got to be a crossing the Jordan into the Canaan, and then the mountains are the challenge of the rest of our lives. Mm. The vital appeal. Come. Come to me and drink. And drink. The first sustenance that we all had when we came into the world, was obtained by drinking. It's the first action of a newborn baby. You don't feed it a pot roast <laughs> or a sirloin steak. Drink. And if we die a natural death, quite often it's the very last thing we do. Or we just get a 
just a little damp drink. How simple, yet how sublime. I don't want to make the issue difficult because the Holy Ghost doesn't make it difficult. He says, come and drink. Anita has a lovely song about that. Come and drink. Come and drink. It'd be really lovely to hear it. (laughs) Come and drink. Oh, my dear friends, tonight, as Jesus reaches out to us, He says, if you will come to me trusting me, not only as your Savior, but if you will come and trust me as a sanctifying Lord who will govern every ambition and thought and wish and cleanse me and fill me, Lord. And don't pray use me, but pray make me usable. There's a world of difference. Make me usable, Lord. He surely will. And he will make your life a channel of blessing. Your life possessing. Your service blessing. Lord, make me a channel of blessing today. I am at your feet. I am in the shadow of the cross. I am in the atmosphere of the visiting spirit. And I claim the blessing. I take, was it A.B. Simpson? I take the promised Holy Ghost, the blessed power of Pentecost to fill me to the uttermost. I take. He undertakes for me. And then, my dear people, you will be able to join in and say, Oh, come to me in all thy fullness. Take possession of my soul. Take the will I scarce can yield thee. Sanctify and cleanse the whole. I am waiting. I am willing. Thine and only thine to be. Make my heart thy living temple. Come today and dwell in me. I wrote just at the very last of my notes a beautiful chorus that I read or heard sung some years ago. River, wash over me, cleanse me, and make me anew. Bathe me, refresh me, and fill me anew. River, wash over me. Out of my inmost being, What does come out of your inmost being? A trickle? Or distempers? Or a river? 
Lord Jesus, if I am honest with you, my life feels like a trickle. But I would want to be really honest with you, Lord Jesus, and say, make my life to be like a river light. Let's pray together.